It's the week of Monday, October 12th, 2009, and this is The Relevant Podcast. The Relevant Podcast is your audio companion to Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando, Florida studios is our associate editor, Ryan Ham. Hello. Maya Strang is away on maternity leave right now, Hmm. Uh, though uh, as of us recording this, no baby has come out of her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, <clears throat> Thank you for keeping to that awkward idiot. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Um, uh, also, on the Skype line, joining us from Loverland, Virginia, is none other than Jesse Carey. Hello. I, you know, Every- I've gotten so used to saying your location that I think in my the back of my mind, Loverland is an actual town in Virginia that you're <laughs> that you are it, located. It, in. Oh. It, it's more of an adjective I that realize, I just, accurately describes the entire state. I just realized that that wasn't a town. Yeah, right? It's really the thought, land of lovers yeah, or something. Right. Yeah, No, it's... Yeah. And somehow the land of lovers turned into Loverland, and I just <laughs> say it every week without even thinking. You're in Virginia Beach, Virginia. That's correct. But uh, it, it is, it's lovely. I'll say that. <laughs> and on the Skype line from the other side of the world in Wellington, Virginia, New Zealand, is Adam Smith for the second week in a row. Hello, everybody. Um, and here in our studio is our new uh, producer, Chad Michael Snavely. Say hi, Chad. Hello. He's our he's our Geldman. He's our off-camera um, Regis and Kathy Lee guy. Which one of us is Regis and which one is Kathy Lee? Well, I think that's obvious. <laughs> Um, all right, on the podcast today, we've got quite a bit in store for you. You know, but you've come to expect that from us. It's true. In the last month, we figured out what we were doing, and now we put together quite the podcast every week. Uh, performing live here in our studios, we've got singer-songwriter Matt Brower, and we have an interview, a very interesting interview, with none other than author, speaker, pastor Rob Bell mm. coming up later mm. today. Josh Loveless talks to him. So, since we have a lot coming up, uh, we will get to the entertainment releases. Coming out in stores tomorrow, uh, October 13th. We've got a few here. Um, Bob Dylan is releasing a Christmas album called uh, Christmas in the Heart. Now, Ryan, uh, guys, do, do you think that this might put to rest his Bob Dylan is Jewish type of uh, people? Because if he's Jewish, he wouldn't be singing about Jesus, would he? Well, Barbara Streisand has a Christmas album. But she's she's a secular Jew. Well, is Dylan or, is Dylan a Jew Jew? Is he like a modest Yahoo Jew? I don't no, know. I don't I don't think so. I don't I don't know. I mean he hasn't if he goes back to Bob Zimmerman, then we'll know. Okay. Uh <laughs> The Flaming Lips with Embryonic. The Yay. Lo- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just just to forewarn you, it's not good. Oh. Yeah. What? Really? Yeah, I got a stream of it like a month ago, and it's, yeah. Well, I was going to say, in fairness, you know, the Flaming Lips have put out some amazing stuff. 
but they've also swung for the fences yeah. and missed wildly before. Remember that album they put out that came in four separate CDs? Yeah, Zarika. You were supposed to put them in CD players in different corners of the room and start them all at the same time Come and on. sit in the middle. No, of the seriously. Room. They would have warehouse parties around the country where people would gather in warehouses and listen to this album. Why didn't they just make one CD with four different like stereo tracks? You know what I mean? Because it's the Flaming Lips. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're completely yeah. They're inefficient. Yeah. I mean, usually they're like, "Well, we expect you to be on acid anyway, so you're yeah. probably going to buy four copies." Is this is this bad from the standpoint of someone who likes the Flaming Lips because of their past two albums, or bad from the standpoint of someone who likes the whole Flaming Lips canon? I don't love the whole Flaming Lips canon. I'm judging it on Soft Bullet and Yoshimi. But you're not judging it on uh, the Wand. No, I'm not just, I don't like the wand that much, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, you, you just gained wicked cred with me. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you're accepted. I know. That's I'm, good. I'm like a newborn bunny. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I am petting you right now. Whoa. <laughs> uh, we've also got, uh, uh, let's see, Los Lonely Boys with an EP called 1969. R. Kelly is coming out with one title tba hmm. i hope no, it's I trapped in the it's, closet yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. i hope it's the latest edition <laughs> volume 57 five for fighting is coming out with an album called slice mm. it's based on the front matter of relevant magazines true it's exciting <laughs> and our spotlight release of the week uh which you can read a review tomorrow tuesday at relevantmagazine.com is the roots with their new album how i got over here is a clip of their first single. This is P-E-L. Lead, I know where I'm going even when it's dark and being led down that road. You don't see that something's wrong. Earth's spinning out of control. Everything's for sale, even souls. Someone get down on the phone. North side, south side. And while we're on the discussion of street cred, can I just say, is it just me or have the Roots lost a lot of cred and kind of their whole mystique by being the band uh, for Jimmy Fallon? I would actually like I would like to say that the complete opposite is the case. I have been watching them several times a week and watching their versatility, watching them do like them be the live band for other performers watching them perform their own stuff on breaks. And, dude, they are the most versatile. I gain more respect for them as a group, as musicians. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool they did it. They may actually be the the only group of people in the world cool enough to avoid their cool <laughs> factor being sucked out of them by Jimmy Fallon's brother. Well, I would actually agree with that. No, I, I, I think you're, you're dead on, Adam. I think that the Roots showed us how cool they actually are because they can pull this off. Yeah. Can, can I just say an example who didn't pull it off? Let's face it, Queen Latifah was about as high on the cred scale as you can get until Taxi Cab came out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because bringing down the house was largely considered a comedic masterpiece. <laughs> it's Steve Martin's finest work, and we all know that. <laughs> I was going to say, and I really think everyone here is overlooking an important man named Kevin Eubanks. Yeah. And the whole discussion of coolness. The, the, the man has made the beret a part of popular culture. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, Ryan, I don't think anyone is overlooking Kevin Eubanks. Okay, it's I just, just yeah. you know, we don't want to take his name in vain. Yeah. Yeah, let's exactly. That goes without saying, Ryan. You just lost some cred. 
Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Movies coming out on Friday. We have some terrible options. Uh, the Stepfather. Um, the, the, the tagline is Major Daddy Issues. Mm. Um, a young man has trouble warming up to his mother's new love. And then uh, I guess the best release coming out is uh, something called Law Abiding Citizen. This is not a game. Gerard Butler makes Jamie Foxx pay for being a cutthroat lawyer. Whoa. Uh, here's a clip of Law Abiding Citizen. The Shelton case, where are we? Let's make the deal. They killed a little girl, Nate. Some justice is better than no justice at all. You need to tell the husband. No, I don't understand. With Darby's testimony, Ames will go to death row. What? The jury's gonna believe me. The deal is done. I'm sorry. This is just how the justice system works. Murder Clarence Darby. He killed my wife and child. I guess we're done here. Counselor, you might want to cancel your 12.30 lunch with Judge Roberts. You will end this. I'm just getting warmed up. So, you know, I'll, I'll be camping out for that one. As uh, <laughs> not, not to watch now, it just because, like last week, it's when, just a nice camp. When you're out. talking about the first release, um, all I really heard was Major Dad. <laughs> now... I, I know you said something issues. about you know, the stepfather, issues. someone major daddy issues, but I chose to zero in on major dad. This is, is this a big screen adaptation of America's favorite sitcom? Absolutely. <laughs> I will be camping out for that one. <laughs> the kids yeah. have grown up and have joined a terrorist group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only major dad can stop them. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. One of them in the in the preview is like, "Screw you, dad," and then you have the. You have the FBI agent storming the house and being like, you're the only one who can stop them. And he's like, no, I swore I would never do this. <laughs> and then his son, Bo Brady, comes to the rescue. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've always thought about the pitch meeting for Major Dad, where it's like, okay, we got to have a really funny show. This is prime time. We want to attract families. And the people are like, here's all we got to say. Dis- emotionally distant military fathers. <laughs> <laughs> Soul <It's a> comedy. <laughs> I, I think we'll put pitch- it right after Small Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I think the pitch meeting for Major Dad was just someone saying the title because it pretty much encapsulates anything you would want to know about the yeah. show. <laughs> and the other, the other great thing about Major Dad is, along with the show uh, Wings and Coach. It formed the daytime lineup for the USA Network for the last, like, <laughs> at least 17 years. It's true. It's true. Trust me. I watch a lot of USA all day. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I've lost entire days to coach. And then, like, suddenly, like, you know, late at night, suddenly realize, I've done nothing today but watch coach. But when he moved to the NFL and came to the Orlando Sharks, that's when I started watching because <laughs> I have a confession. I have never seen Coach. Your, well, your cred just went way down. I know. <laughs> never yeah. seen it. Well, if if Jerry Van Dyke isn't a part of your life, then I just feel sorry for you. <laughs> On that bizarre note, that'll do it for entertainment releases. Up next, Slices.
Today's podcast is brought to you by Donald Miller's new book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, now available everywhere. Check it out at DonaldMillerTour.com. You're listening to Kasabian. The song is Fire. The video for Fire is playing right now over at Relevant.tv. The spotlight video every day at RelevantMagazine.com. You can check it out. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Metric with their song, Gimme Sympathy. It's the theme song of my life. It's a good song. It is. It is a good song. I like Metric. <laughs> that was really creepy. <laughs> you sounded like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. I like Metric. Put the lotion in the basket. <laughs> it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. I like Metric. <laughs> All right. Um, besides this, here's Jesse. All right. Well, I have a story that I find quite interesting. Um, it's from the newspaper, the Edmonton Journal. Now, uh, the headline caught me at first, but it is immaculately written. The headline is, Giant White Blimp Has Kandahar on Edge. So I was like, oh, this sounds pretty interesting. Essentially, the story is in Kandahar in Afghanistan, there is a, a giant white blimp that is just floating over the city. Okay, and the state that like the United States government says they won't they won't return any comments about it. So that the only logical thing to do is for the people in town to develop their own theories, because just imagine if you wake up every day and there's a giant white blimp just floating over your house. I don't have to. So here's one of the sentences from the story. (laughs) Many people believe it's a spy blimp that can see through the walls to look at our women, says Ghulam Gami. (laughs) A local fixer attuned to the buzz at coffee shops and kebab stands. <laughs> I mean, it's really written like a suspense novel. Um, and then the, the, another, another excerpt that I like was that uh, some people have taken to, to just randomly shooting at the blimp, although none of their uh, antiquated rifles can get nearly that high and just put other people in danger. Um, but 70 people at one time decided to moon the blimp the other day, hmm. hope so, <laughs> which was ineffective. So um, uh, other theories are that it's a spy blimp that the United States government is developing. That but, can see through walls and look at their women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it costs $400 million apparently, uh, someone estimated. Uh, but – to me, the blimp is probably the worst spy device ever created because that's originally why it was created. One is it's massive and floats in the sky, and two, it's incredibly slow. I think both of those got- should restrict it from being involved with spying. But isn't it also kind of endearing? Like, it have is. you ever yeah, looked like- up and been like, oh, a blimp, I'm scared? No, I mean, yeah. you look up and you're like, hey, look, it's a blimp. That's awesome. What's going on? Well,. I, I would say probably in the moments as the Hindenburg crashed to the ground, <laughs> some of the people on the reviewing stand probably looked up and thought, oh, a blimp, I'm scared. Yeah, that's that's probably <laughs> true. But I mean, yeah. you know, but that blimp had a swastika on it. Like, you know, that's going to scare anyone. <laughs> but if you've got like Snoopy, Snoopy flying like a Goodyear blimp, no one's scared of that. Yeah, blimps do have a certain kind of... They're like a big jovial fat guy, exactly. just kind of easing his way through the sky. Well, plus there's the know? name Blimp. It just sounds very yeah. friendly, like Plump. Well, 
I, I always have like a playful image of a blimp because at, at basketball games while I was in college, Cameron, I don't know if they had this when you were there, but they had like a blimp that they would fly around the stadium and drop like coupons down on the yeah, audience. You they know? do that at Magic Games too. Yeah, well, the guy who flew them at the ORU games took his job very, very seriously. <laughs> and at one point, the cheerleaders would throw out these little foam basketballs, you know, to the audience. And one of my buddies, as the blimp was kind of flying over the middle of the stadium during a timeout, threw his foam basketball, <laughs> and it just barely grazed the nose of the blimp. But the thing is so light that it threw it into a spin, <laughs> right? And so the guy with the radio control is frantically trying to get it from to pull out of this spin. You know, you wouldn't think that just barely grazing the nose of it would do that, but it did. The other time was when he flew it just a little bit too close to the students reaching for the coupons and they ended up grabbing it and ripping it into the stands and tearing out all the coupons. I, I thought he was going to hit students that night. I think that just goes to show you how ineffective a blimp is as a spy tool that you know you can hit it on the nose with a rock and throw it wildly <laughs> out of control. Well, isn't that what, what happened um, to the Hindenburg? Yeah, that was all I think so. Rocks. They they made the mistake of dropping coupons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> last and year, people at, get greedy for those coupons. I actually think <laughs> I mentioned this, but this last spring in a Magic game, the guy um, who normally does the blimp in the first timeout, I I think he was gone, and it was a new guy. And he was having a hard time controlling it. And so it was like nose diving. It was like, it was kind of like Shamu dolphinish in its motion. It was up and down, up and down, nose up and down. And, and he got too close to the crowd too. And it has a big string on the front because that's how they dock it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and sure enough, two sections over, somebody jumps up, grabs the string, and they pulled the blimp down into the crowd and started punching it. <laughs> the guy, ushers, swooned in. Uh, I mean, ushers came flocking in, and they, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a big to do. Blimps, hmm. They really do bring that out in you, though, because that's what I would want to do. <laughs> yeah. you know? but why is the it's first like, human just, instinct, yeah, to punch it as soon as it gets close? It's like a whale shark. Well, it's because it's, it's like putting a really weak guy in a headlock and hitting him, you know, <laughs> with no fear of repercussion. <laughs> Except the ushers. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. that scenario, but the blimp's not going to fight back. We didn't see the blimp again for like three or four games. It was speaking <laughs> of games. By the way, I went to the first Orlando Magic preseason game last night. Basketball is back, much to the chagrin of my Twitter followers and <laughs> podcast <laughs> listeners. Because <laughs> now I've how, how, how did Vince Carter look? He looked phenomenal. I'm telling you what, and he was also good at basketball. <laughs> that his <laughs> outfit <laughs> afterwards. That guy cleans up well. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was actually the the last one that we can go to before the due date. There's a game on Friday, uh, but we're going to the U2 concert instead. Hmm. All right, next slice. Okay, so, uh, you know, I think all of us have probably been in the boat where, you know, we we run a cut rate zoo, and uh, <laughs> it, for for profit, and. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what country is you, this in? What, what I found <laughs> is that, you know, when you're running a cut rate zoo, for profit. Uh, highly illegally, for profit, <laughs> um, 
it can be difficult to keep exotic animals alive, especially if you know nothing about keeping exotic <laughs> animals alive. Um, can I interrupt you one sec? I wholly disagree with your premise. <laughs> what? That it's difficult to keep exotic animals alive? Running to cut rate zoo from experience, I disagree. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe you're better at than I, but all I know is that when winter came around, all those Colobus monkeys froze to them. <laughs> uh, and I did not see that coming. But evidently, experience, you know, I know, other people's experience would bear out my hypothesis, Jesse, because in uh, Gaza City, in Israel, uh, there is a, a fairly dilapidated zoo there, and they, they had a little bit of a problem when a pair of their, their only two zebras died. Uh, when they were neglected during uh, an Israel-Hamas war, which is kind of, you know, it's kind of understandable that their first thought wasn't, let's go feed the zebras. But uh, <laughs> the zebras were a big draw, right? So they found themselves in a little bit of a tight spot, not having any zebras. But ever the industrious type, and I think anyone who runs an unlicensed zoo uh, <laughs> can take a lesson from these industrious folk, they uh, they took a pair of donkeys and painted them black and white. Uh, a, they said a professional painter used French manufactured hair coloring to make the donkeys look like zebras. And I'm telling you, it is convincing. And uh, the uh, they've actually become a big draw. Uh, in fact, uh, one visitor to the zoo said that since his three children have never seen a real zebra, they uh, they really enjoy looking at the the donkey ones. <laughs> Uh, they've they've still never seen a real zebra, but they've at least seen a close facsimile. And uh, aside from the two zebras, the the zoo also has an aging tigress, two monkeys, and a selection of birds, rabbits, and cats. Cats. <laughs> so like basically, just like a creepy old lady's place. <laughs> I was gonna say by aging tigress, did you mean Joan Joan Rivers? <laughs> hey <laughs> See, see, my question is: If there, why stop at the zebras? Why not, you know, create more animal animals, maybe some mythical ones? You know, <laughs> like, like, like stop them from putting a couple unicorns or a minotaur out there? <laughs> if you're making only them, their so. imagination, Jesse. Only their imagination. <laughs> I wonder. If... Note to self about my dilapidated zoo. <laughs> I wonder if the dog. <laughs> zebras give hope for the Middle East peace process. If they just, if they, if they, just they kind of do when you think about it. It's like the end of Rocky Four. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ryan, go. All right. So there's a story from out of Brussels, which uh, is where the EU headquarters are, as well as the home of Jean Claude Van Damme. The, yes, muscles the muscles from Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well say what it's best known for. What it's best known for. <laughs> the European Union and the muscles from Brussels. Um, so <laughs> apparently, a lot of cattle or a lot of milk farmers, so people who raise cattle to provide milk, are really. <laughs> Did you just call them milk farmers? Yes, milk, milk farmers. I guess that's probably not correct, people, huh? People who grow milk. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think uh, dairy farmer. Dairy farmer, thank you. Okay, so dairy farmers are really upset right now because milk supply in the EU 
um, far exceeds demand. So there's been a really big slump in prices and people are sort of clamoring for the European government to um, like pour money into milk production and stuff so they can actually afford to feed their families and all that kind of stuff. But um, in order to display their um, anger, they decided to go to Brussels and protest. But if you know anything about dairy farmers, and I think you do, you know that they don't protest in just normal ways where you sort of like go and do a sit-in or any of that stuff. No, they brought they brought milk and um, sprayed riot police with milk and then brought giant like sort of hay sprayers and sprayed riot police with hay and milk and then released livestock all over the streets of, of Brussels. <laughs> That happened at staff meeting Thursday. (laughs) Cameron's still trying to get the milk and hay off. (laughs) Anyway, so the lesson here is never anger dairy farmers. Amen. Yeah. Won't do that again. Because you will get sprayed with (laughs) milk and hay. (laughs) Oh, and in my defense, it says milk farmers in the headline. Yeah, Jesse. So, that's right. (laughs) I'm just saying, I've never heard... uh, them called milk farmers. Well, apparently before. you don't live in Ireland. <laughs> he got that from space.com. <laughs> or Brussels. <laughs> or Brussels. All right. Okay. That'll do it for slices. Up next, Matt Brower. It's You're listening to Air. The song is Sing Sang Song by Air. Sing Sang Song. It's off their new album, and it's playing right now over at Relevant.TV. Well, recently we had uh, Matt Brower visit the studio. He is a singer-songwriter who has an album out now called Where's Our Revolution. It's on Black Shoe Records. It's available nationwide. You can check him out at mattbrower.com. That's Matt, B-R-O-U-W-E-R, period, C-O-M. Without any further ado, here is Matt Brower. When your heroes have all let you down And you find that your faith is unsound Come to me, dear With your broken heart When the thorn will not fall from your side You've waited too long and lives pass you by Come to me, dear With your broken heart And you're not the only one Who's been let down And what would it take Come back around Come back around So when the words that had changed you forget Turn out to be misunderstood Come to me, dear With your broken heart And you're not the only 
And what would it take for you to come back around? Come back around. Your faith is unsound. Come to me, dear, with your broken heart. You're listening to Matt Brower. Check him out at myspace.com/slash Matt Brower Music. You're listening to Sleeping At Last. The song is Green Screens. It's their brand new video. It is playing right now over at Relevant.tv. We like those guys. I think the Sleeping At Last album is still playing in its entirety at the drop at RelevantMagazine.com. It's a really good album, too. It really is. And you can go listen to the whole thing for free at the drop. RelevantMagazine.com. Last week, I guess earlier this week, Mm -hmm. um, Rob Bell's Drops Like Stars tour uh, came through Florida. And uh, a good chunk of the staff and I went down there uh, and saw it. I had um, never seen one of his tours before. I had heard good things. Uh, I had seen him speak a couple times, just not on his, his kind of yeah. tour thing. And I got to say, I was blown away by it. I, uh, it was at the uh, Performing Arts Center, and I didn't know what to expect. Uh, it was just a big screen. And to me, the the evening was really difficult. Like the content, and the things he was talking about was really hard mm-hmm. and really um, uh, just one of those. It was really hard. And then the next morning, somebody said, "How was it?" I was like, "Man, it was. Uh, it was just. It was. It was rough. I mean, it was really heavy. It was heavy." And then they're like, they looked at me confused and they're like, "Really?" Because Teresa said it was inspiring and awesome. <laughs> and like, so, and I'm like, you know what? That's Rob Bell. Hmm. It, that's Rob Bell. That's somebody. Can you know, uh, and and it's I think the format of of that night that so many different experiences happen mm-hmm. and they resonate with people differently, you know. And I thought it was a really cool event. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was really good too. Um, I mean, like you, I'd never seen him on a book tour. I'd just seen him. He came to my co- when I was in college and did a couple chapels. But I thought it was really good. I mean, um, he has a lot of really good stuff to say about suffering, and yeah. I think um, everyone could be really helped by hearing. Like and I mean if you and if you don't have a chance to see him on tour, um, you can read Drops Like Stars and he kind of like that kind of encapsulates everything he said. So But if you don't like reading, he'll read it to you if you go to the event. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um Josh Loveless, who um is the senior editor of our ministry magazine called New, um, he 
uh, spoke with Rob before the event, and uh, the interview was really interesting. Not only are we going to play a segment of it here for you on the podcast, but over at relevantmagazine.com, we do a, a, a broader Q&A transcript of the conversation. It's uh, fascinating what they talked about. So without any further ado, here is Josh Loveless talking to Rob Bell. Rob, thanks for being with us. Um, a couple of images come to mind uh, when, when your name comes up. Um, first of all, I feel like you're Green Day after the album Dookie. Uh, your punk underground indie kind of underground in, in terms of people knowing who you are and then all of a sudden kind of exploded on the scene in terms of a teacher communicator obviously with the church um, but as a result received a lot of criticism for some of that influence uh, but you keep cranking out music that moves the masses and the other image that comes to mind is M. Night Shyamalan after Sixth Sense um, before people started hating on him uh, in that you became popular for creating unexpected twists, and now everyone expects a twist that they never saw coming every time they see your work. Do these expectations weigh on you? That was like a <laughs> just two images. These uh, this idea very, of Green Day after Dookie, underground punk band, yeah, 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 street cred. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. I have always felt like the um indie underdog so whatever that sort of thing is that exists out there um yesterday was changing diapers homework walking the dog trombone practice football practice packing lunches for school like you play the trombone uh Um, no, but there's an 11 year old in my house that okay. does, and okay. it's a beautiful sound. Okay. So, so my wife and I have tried very hard to orient our life around a life that works for our family, um, and a life in which I can do the, the work. And I know sometimes, like you know, I'm just about the work, but that is the actually the only way to keep yourself sane is making the next thing. So. In terms of expectations or reactions or all of that, um, yesterday after I took the kids to school, I sat down at my desk in my house and worked pretty much all day on this book that I'm working on. Yeah. And, and it's just hard work. And I love it. But um, it is very, it would be very easy to end up in a sort of, okay, what, what, what are the expectations? If I went down that road, what do they expect? What's the thing that will this be liked or not? Yeah, it's that's all rubbish. It takes you off in all of these sort of soul crushing, yeah, sorts of ways. Let's change gears a little bit and talk about your book, Drops Like Stars. Uh, the book itself does, I feel like, a, a really beautiful job of explaining and I think in some ways defining the dance between art and suffering mm-hmm. and its relationship. Um, can you elaborate on one of the things that you mentioned in the book that our suffering forces us to imagine? Um, we've all known that the grieving process can be violent when you've experienced suffering or pain. Um, but it seems as though you're kind of pushing us to recognize that even the idea of dreaming again can be equally as, as violent in that if you've lost something, um, you know, that you see that's going to happen in the future or um, you suffer in some way, not just in the grieving, but in the dreaming and so you said suffering forces us to imagine. What what did you mean by that? Um, 
that a blank page of any sort can be terrifying. So whether it's a blank screen or whether it's, oh, they're not going to be around tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Or we worked together for how many years and now we're not going to work together anymore. So in all those meetings, I'm going to be alone. Hmm. And a filmmaker told me recently that his partners aren't, he's not working with his partners anymore. He's like, I'm terrified that I don't have it. That it was actually their their kind of mojo that I was riding on. Fred Durst after Limp Biscuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean the, the, something similar. The examples from great art of the twenty first century are many. <laughs> um, <laughs> chicken foot immediately comes to mind. <laughs> but they found each other. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, trying to outcurrent you there. No, no, that's okay. Um, that's okay. Yeah, there is. A, yeah, I mean, I mean, the person who lost their job yesterday, what am I going to do tomorrow? Sure. And so that terror can be read another way as well, hmm. which can be deeply insensitive to say, some, hey, you lost your job, think about what tomorrow could bring. Yeah. Like, um, but, there, but the truth is, given a larger perspective, so, well, what do you want to do now? Yeah. Um, it's a str- I mean, I hope the whole book is about a sort of paradoxical gift. A sort of bloody, traumatic, awful, strange gift. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. And and I think it takes a certain kind of person that has um, has a deep sense of fortitude and understanding of the ways yes. of God and, and the deep mystery, yeah. I think, to embrace some of the things that you're talking about, which is, yeah. this is not the last chapter. Yeah, so I don't, whenever you wade into the, like in the Jewish tradition, the first thing you do when so- somebody dies, you go over to their house. I mean, somebody, a, a loved one dies of a friend of yours, you go over to their house and you just sit quietly. Mm-hmm. You don't say anything. Mm-hmm. So, um, probably the first thing you you give people is your presence. So, so perhaps in that sense, the book is maybe step two or three in some cases, as opposed to like, oh, really, something horrible just happened? Well, you need to start reading. That's yeah, maybe a while. Maybe reading this book. Yeah, it actually, <laughs> this, well, with all that blank space. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> good, I got that in. Yeah, good, yes. good, good. Um, so, but uh, it's interesting that I just got a text from a woman who's, a relative of hers, um, took his own life. And it wasn't that long ago. And for her, the book spoke exactly to where she was at. So I was interested that she was able because sometimes you're in enough pain, you're like, okay, I don't want the good side of this. Come on. Sure. And even the idea of a good side, which is not really, the book isn't like, hey, there's a good side. It's yeah. more like, in the midst of this agony are all sorts of interesting paradoxes. Let's just sit in them and maybe, I've tried to be very respectful of people and hopefully what people come out of it yeah. was real and yep. not a sort of manufactured, hey, so you should buck up. Yeah. It might be a while. Yeah. They may not be ready. I think when people hear about a book um, about suffering, I think a lot of people want to know how the author mm-hmm. has experienced suffering mm-hmm. and how 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 has rob bell become someone who has something to say about in interviews and about the book yeah, because yeah. we don't um in my experience it's not helpful to hear about oh wow you, well you really do have it tough mm-hmm. you know i instantly have a sort of well yeah that really is tough 
you know what I mean? You hear the kind of person on TV prattling on about the paparazzi, and you're like, oh, that must be tough. Yeah. Actually, that probably would be tough. Yeah. But it's hard to hear that. Yeah. So uh, I would say, first off, um, on a less personal note, as a pastor over the years, the interesting thing is you end up being invited into people's really intimate moments of suffering. So you barely know these people, and all of a sudden you're at the hospital. Mm standing with them over this plastic box that has their kid in it who's mm. going to die in nine days. Mm. So, And then you see them three months later, and then you see them a year later, and then you see them two years later when they get pregnant again and actually have a healthy kid. Yeah. Um, and Or you do funerals where it's... I mean, I have had numerous times, um, especially when I first when we first started the church, me, the casket, and the family mm. at the funeral home in a room like this... Mm. And we have to come up with an order of service. So you're meeting Uncle Bob and Uncle, um, a family friend of ours died a couple months ago. And so got together the closest relatives in a room to hear what they mm. wanted out of the funeral service, which mm. turned into their first chance in a room together to actually talk about him. Mm. Um, and so you you end up seeing... In there, in that moment, um, sometimes it's a bit like doing a wedding where you're like, okay, this is between the two of you. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Like, I'm going to kind of just back up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then you see them six months later and a year later and a year and a half later. And so you start to see this sort of larger sweep of things. So, so part of that. And then my own, I would not be who I am if it wasn't for relationships that didn't turn out and people who really, really, really hurt me. Mm. Um, when you when your work has a sort of public dimension to it, people feel very free to say whatever they want. Mm. So when everything from your family to your motives to your integrity to your weight, <laughs> people feel free to comment on, Yeah. Um, you over time either become cynical and hard and bitter or you learn to forgive and somehow in some strange way keep your heart soft. So um, when you're in a season of suffering or a circumstance of suffering or pain, how does art speak to you in those moments? Well, I think the the simple truth that I have a invitation here to choose a well-worn path of closing down and contracting into myself and just this person said what mm. oh like are i think all people are horrible <laughs> like like how what am i going to choose to believe here <laughs> yeah. it will what this person did now in my mind define them are they now what they did so I will no longer be able to see them without thinking of the thing they did. Sure. Um, or will I somehow absorb that pain and experience a sort of death and rebirth where I am able to see them again? Because when people hurt us, they become that thing. Yeah. So-and-so. And will I begin to see them again as a person who's... Um, says nasty things just like me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then obviously a church uh, is 
and having been at the center in many ways of a church that has been a bit of a wild ride, just lots and lots and lots of relational, how do we get along? How, If we have issues, they're going to come out. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. So do you feel like there's music, a role that music or movies yeah, or yeah, yeah. play in the midst of a Very, season like that? Uh, yeah, Van Go- uh, Irving Stone's novel on Van Gogh, which is in there. A lot of the books in there are in there because they have helped me. And um, there's a series of novels, I think twice in the book I quote from, that really helped my wife and I through some very difficult Hmm. times. The new Muse album, Mm -hmm. I think will get me through the apocalypse. (laughs) That's a while. Or maybe not. I mean, it could be here sooner than than maybe I'd anticipated. If we play that that new album enough, we could speed (laughs) things up. Um, So yeah, I I think, um, and probably... Yeah, I hesitate to talk about it, but when you do what you do and it has a public dimension to it, you are exposed and vulnerable and sure. out there. Yeah. And there are things, ways that people react and things people say that are very, very, very painful. And I think. And you're just kind of, um, if I could use the word faithful, sure. you're just trying to be true to what's been put before you. Yeah. And to have it. Well, I was going to say motives question and all that, but it, it goes probably deeper than that. That um, okay. That is a, wow, I was just kind of doing my thing. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that um, and I I hesitate to talk about that because, oh, yeah, great, like that's tough. Um, but that does produce a sort of pain. Yeah, and I think that speaks to people because I think when they do look up to people who influence them, I think they're looking for, some commonality, some common humanity that they can connect to. And so just you sharing those things, I think will speak to people. And and though they may not understand the way in which things affect you, because it's probably different than maybe it affects others. I think the commonality of suffering, as you talk about in your book, brings people together. Yeah. Yeah. For the full conversation between Josh Loveless and Rob Bell, check out the podcast from new, our sister magazine for ministry leaders. You can find the new podcast at iTunes and on newresources.com. That's N-E-U-E resources.com. You're listening to question mark question mark. According to my lineup, I don't know what music is playing right now. <laughs> it's something that Chad put in in post production, and um, you know what? That that's a perfect uh, opportunity to plug the podcast episode page. If you went to last week's podcast episode page, there are extra performances by uh, Abandoned Kansas. There's an interview with Abandoned Kansas. There's pictures behind the scenes. There was a music lineup. There's stuff with Craig Gross all on the podcast episode page. We're going to be doing that every week now that every week's uh, podcast will have a bunch of bonus content online. So uh, to find out the music lineup for this week's podcast and to watch the videos in one location, you can check out the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. 
There's also an interview with uh, music artist Matt Brower, hmm. and there's some additional content um, for, uh, by Rob Bell there on the episode page. So without any further ado, here is another song by Matt Brower. You can check him out at myspace.com slash Matt Brower Music. Sometimes I'm afraid Of what I might not get to say Sometimes I believe That everything is what it seems And we're just too scared to try Do we have what it takes When hope and clarity melt away To rise above our mistakes If we don't know any other way And we're just too scared to try When it feels like there is nothing left It feels like this is as good as it gets So let's take a second, catch our breath And realize this isn't over yet It just feels the way sometimes Sometimes there can be So much more beyond what we see Sometimes I'm amazed How we see the world in different ways And we're just too scared to try When it feels like there is nothing left It feels like this is as good as it gets It feels that way sometimes Let's take a second, catch our breath And realize this isn't over yet It just feels that way sometimes Sometimes I'm afraid Of what I might not get to say And we're just too scared to try Just too scared to try When it feels like there is nothing left It feels like this is as good as it gets It feels that way sometimes So let's take a second, catch our breath
You're listening to Matt Brower. His current album out now is called Where's Our Revolution? You're listening to music that I don't know, but again, you can go to the website, that podcast episode page, to find out what it is. It's time for feedback. So last week on the podcast, the feedback segment, we asked you for your fashion faux pas from the past, things you thought were incredibly cool at the time, but looking back, you regret deeply. Um, You went over to the podcast episode page on realizing.com, and in the comments area, you posted some of your um, hideousness, and here are some of our favorite replies. Well, Pete J said that he thinks carpenter jeans and jorts were among the the two you know once fashionable that. things yeah. that are now embarrassing. But here's why I have to disagree with Jay. He didn't really fully answer our questions because these were things that were once actually in fashion. So <laughs> and he misreferred to carpenter jean shorts are actually called or carpenter jeans in general are called jargos not carpenter jeans so you're welcome for that pj (laughs) (laughs) oh man travis mamone says jinko jeans remember those the really baggy jeans that all skaters stoners metalheads wore in the late 90s oh yeah and the more they hit your feet the more hardcore you were (laughs) man yeah even when those were in i thought they were ridiculous like they looked like the ghost of christmas present like you could have little bony orphans clutching to your legs (laughs) under them I that, referenced that's a strange that like a association, month ago. Adam. I referenced that like a month ago on the <laughs> podcast. That's bizarre. What strange bony orphans or chinkos? No, no. Specifically, the the big green velvet robe with skinny orphans that comes out from <laughs> in, inside of it. That's bizarre. Oh man, chinkos! I remember like friends who had chinkos, and I mean, you re- like literally couldn't see their shoes. So you hung out with that kind of people? Yeah, you know. Wow. You know. Did you listen to Flaming Lips? Uh, not not in high school. I wear Jinkos now, but it's just to <laughs> hide my unsightly cankles, <laughs> which, which they do very effectively. See, I wear them, but to hide my unsightly orphans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's one I don't know if I would have told anyone. Mateo says, when I was in grade seven, crisscross is very popular. Like a good pop culture drone, I can remember going to school with my clothes on backwards. (laughs) This was cool until one day I went to school with my overalls on backwards and I had to go to the bathroom. (laughs) By the time I got to the urine, it was too late and I had to go the rest of the day with a wet mark on the front, well, the back, actually, of my overalls. (laughs) (laughs) One, I don't think Criss Cross ever wore backwards overalls. No, they did. And one side was unbuttoned. Yeah. Oh. And it drooped. <laughs> Forgive me, then. That's uh, right. Daddy Mac is going to make you jump. Hey, did anyone <laughs> act? Did anyone actually ever do that? I mean, I remember like you know, this guy, putting it did. on around my house, thinking, "Oh, this is kind of funny and cool." But did anyone actually wear that to school? No, because nah. when, well, I'm older. But when I was in seventh, eighth grade, is when it was popular. 
and they were like little elementary kids. So I'm mm-hmm. not going to follow that trend. Yeah, but yeah. you only, guys are a little younger. Well, I was going to say the only thing I remember about Crisscross is that I read about them in a Focus on the Family publication, and it <laughs> was like it was like Mac Daddy may be a possible euphemism for sex, and I was like, oh, I need to stay away from them. <laughs> yeah thank you james thompson <laughs> he personally yeah. wrote that and then, then i proceeded to put my pants on the right way <laughs> <laughs> the god-fearing way yeah. <laughs> I, put, I put my pants i put my pants in the so-called missionary position <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Blue Jay says that here's a couple uh, neon shorts, which I have no problem with. I have no problem with that. Day. Yeah, either. Yeah. Uh, British Knights, which if I had some, I would proudly rock. Yeah, them. British Knights. Are you kidding me? Those are incredible. I feel like everything he's talking about is just something he observed at his local hipster bar last. Yeah, I was going to say, what was he shopping at Urban Outfitters? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other thing is, and this is yet to make a comeback to my knowledge, but maybe I'm just out of it. Is the hypercolor T-shirt? No. Oh, I love those. Wait, have you been to American Apparel? Mm. That's like that's like pretty much one wall. Yeah. It's a hypercolor t shirt. Really? Yeah. Really? And a lot of hypercolor leggings, weirdly enough. Not not for men, as far as wait, I know. Hypercolor or neon? Way, the hypercolor is that. Hypercolor change color you... in the heat. Oh. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm completely yeah. wrong. Sorry. Yeah. So that's Okay. Yeah, because hypercolor, like it it was cool, but the the downside was that Evidently, the designers didn't think through it. Was it was basically a map of where you got sweaty. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. That's why when you said hypercolor leggings, I was, I was like, like Whoa. "Well, that could be embarrassing." <laughs> yeah. uh, see, I messed that up. Yeah, cultural no, cultural fail. Yeah. It's all right. You, I you, for you, me, you, you lost just a tiny bit more cred without knowing about the hypercolor. <laughs> well, I did grow you, up. For your punishment is you're gonna have to wear hypercolor leggings to work. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Uh, Doxa says by far the worst was the lagoon wear. I had a T-shirt with Sylvester the cat dressed in baggy jeans and early '90s rapper clothes. <laughs> Sylv- <laughs> Sylvester's face was on the front of the shirt and his back pictured on the back of the shirt. Here's what makes it a festival of suck, though. <laughs> His clothes were on backwards in imitation of crisscross. Nice. I shudder to remember. Yeah, I, I most definitely had a Bugs Bunny dressed up like he was an NWO. You know? Oh, did you? Yeah. I had Bugs Bunny dressed up as like a hockey player or something. <laughs> Here, like, here's you... one from Josh H. Uh, Josh said in the 90s, he was all about some Doc Martens because he basically was Eddie Vedder. <laughs> Did you guys ever rock the docks? No, no. I I always wanted them, but I never had them. Oh, I had one pair in college in the late nineties. They were uh, expensive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, was I splurged for the ladies. Mm, nice. <laughs> they they were your night out shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I wore them in my hypercolor shirt. <laughs> um, you know, we could go on and on. Yeah. You know, you got the Zubaz pants. You got the Z Cavaricis. You got the Abolo uh, ties. You know, you got. I mean, there's a ton of terrible stuff from the early yeah. 90s so here is this week's podcast question of the week Editorial question of the week. okay so in light of the fact that i'm going to see you two tomorrow night for the second time on this tour i was at opening night in chicago oh, yeah, too right. yeah um <clears throat> i uh I, I i thought that a good question might be tour related band related concert related so we want to know from you 
If you could be on the front row of any concert of all time, past or present, what concert would it be? Um, we want to hear from you. Go over to the podcast episode page after you're done perusing all the extras. Go down right to the bottom, and in the commentary, post your replies. We will read uh, our favorites of your replies next Jesse's, week. Jesse's really excited about being able to talk about Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was going to say mine would probably be uh, Phil Collins with uh, Mannheim Steamroller, which to my knowledge, <laughs> to my knowledge, they've never done a show together. But I'd like to be in the front row if they ever do. Yeah. It would probably be the most epic performance that man has ever witnessed Mannheim. In, in every way possible Mannheim, as it were all right on that note we will wrap things up many thanks to matt brower for coming through uh again you can check him out at mattbrower.com or myspace.com slash matt brower music his current album is where's our revolution it's available on black shoe records nationwide if you go over to the podcast page you can hear an interview with matt also, thanks to Rob Bell. The, uh, the tour he's on right now is the Drops Like Stars Tour. It's also the name of his current and brand new book that just came out called Drops Like Stars. You can find out more information at robbell.com. That has two Bs, everybody. Rob B. Bell B. Not Rob Bell. Mm-mm. That'd be one B. Yeah. Robbell.com. Not, not Robell. <laughs> yeah, that'd be <laughs> Robell. No, it's robbell.com. Or you can uh, find out more about his church, Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, Michigan at marshill.org. If he ever decides to pull a Bono, he could go as Robell. <laughs> Robel. If he just decides to just adopt one name. <laughs> or, or, yeah, if he becomes a, a male fashion model, he can just be Robell. <laughs> Hello, my name is Robell. These are my Or words. a soccer player. <laughs> yeah. we. Uh, if you're noticing that there's a lot less static and uh, profanity in the podcast right now, is <laughs> because we lost, we lost Adam. I think a sheep uh, tripped over the internet wire there in New Zealand, yeah. and uh, the shepherd hasn't plugged it back in yet. Either a sheep or a <laughs> hobbit, or this is the work of Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a nerd put down. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. Um, anyway, so we lost him, but we thank Adam for sitting in. And uh, I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Ryan Ham. I'm Jesse Carey. And we will see you next week, and I'll probably be a dad. Oh, oh that's neat. Yes. Okay. Because inside out, it's wiggin' a wiggin' a wiggin' a whack. I come stopping with something pumping to keep me jumping. R&B, rapping, bull crap is what I'm dumping. Ain't nothing sucked about crisscross we all. Relevant Podcast, anytime, anywhere. That guy cleans up well.